why don't we start with, I tell you this, why don't we start with me explaining how much your pound is fucked? Go on. And it's a really good example, right? My pound or is this everyone's uh, Well, it's it's most people's currency, but the example I'll give is the pound. Right, Right. so to start explaining the value of the pound, what happened in 1970 was that, I think it was Nixon, probably embarrassed myself there, basically undid the gold standard for the US was, dollar. Was Nixon, yeah. And so and so then basically from there currency was not tied to gold, it was not tied to anything tangible. So the comparison I'll use is in nineteen seventy, if we look at the and this is the reason I'm gonna say the value of these things, not the cost, right? The value, if you look at the average to buy the average house in nineteen seventy, if you buy it in gold and if you buy it in um currency, money, great British pounds. 52 years later, 2022, mm-hmm. you can buy that same house with the same amount of gold. That's how little the actual value of gold has changed in 52 years. To buy that same house now, you need 50 times the amount of money you had in Great British Pounds and currency to buy that same house now. So really what's happened is the value of the house hasn't changed, the value of gold hasn't changed, but the value of the pound has and it has decreased, that is a 50-fold increase, is a decrease in value of 98%. So since 1970, your pound is worth 98% less than it was. And is that seen across in the other currencies, so like the dollar, the euro? Yeah, all at different rates, but basically the, the, as soon they as they all the went down compared to the gold. Yeah, and so that's why, so I had a, a, I had a sort of semi- is that not because gold is a commodity um, and there's a finite amount, whereas the dollar, the euro, the pound, they can just print more? But that's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. The price of a house hasn't increased, as in the value of a house has yeah, not no, increased. But like the value of the pound is, is, will have lowered because yeah. the British government, to get themselves out of positions, will just print more money. Yes. And so the, the value of the pound becomes less because there's more of it. Yeah, so that's it. So... That was just, I think, something that I think it's hard to wrap your head around because I was saying to somebody, so the value of gold hasn't increased the other day in, in a, a, a pub, right? And the, the guy was like, no, it has because in the last two years it's went up like 300%. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I in what? And he was like, I in pounds and sterling. And, that. and I was like, I that's that's the value of gold in relation to money. But the value of gold, i.e. what you can buy with gold, is exactly the same. It's not changed. So the value of gold hasn't changed is increased in value if you compare it to money but what's really happening is your money's being devalued and so you can get more it takes more money to buy the same amount of gold so gold looks like it's going up in value but it's not really going up in value it's just will get you more money but it's actually that the money is worth less so what you're actually saying there in turn is that we are buggered because i'm pretty sure gordon brown sold most of the uk's gold and whenever he was in, in charge and also russia like over the last three, four years, have been buying huge quantities of gold because Russia and China want to make gold the standard again. And so that's what they're basing their currency off. So that means that they're, so obviously Putin had it in his mind to, like he he had this plan obviously to attack Ukraine and you probably knew what the West would do. Mm-hmm. So has, to mitigate that, has bought, stockpiled gold because of this exact factor that you've just alluded to. So, 
I, do you know another really interesting thing? See, if you look at the, the it basically, you're better refined, referring to it as the buying power, right? So the buying power of, of, the, of gold and the buying power of money, right? See if you look at um, food prices. So we would all say food prices have went up, right? Mm-hmm. The price of a pint of milk's went up. The price of whatever has went up. Food has gone up in price. See if you look at food prices in gold, they have decreased. You can buy more food now with the equivalent gold back in 1970, for example. So if you bought £100 worth of food in gold, you could now get even more in gold because food prices in gold have dropped. Now that insinuates that food prices, as in the value of food, really has dropped. You can get more for your money. But we keep devaluing the pound so much that even though the price in food and gold is dropping... And money, obviously, is increasing. And that, again, is just devaluing of the pound. And that's why I thought it was really important to do this podcast to explain, one, that concept, and then, two, why it's so important to understand that concept and then to know what to do with your money. Because having money sitting is just losing It's losing value constantly, especially so when inflation is so high. should be basically just put money in gold. Yeah, I mean, it's very safe. Based on on what you said, it's the same. In 50 years, it's went up 2%. It's so stable. So it's basically, basically like, your value, if you put your money in in gold, it'll be akin to putting your money in houses because they're they're tracking one another. It keeps the money always worth uh, the value that it originally was. was, It's just that the pound becomes less valued, so over time, you'll you'll get get more more pounds for your gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was it. How'd you buy gold? Don't know you need but that or something. Do you just buy gold? Probably on some internet. Dark web. So I think um although I don't it might be obvious, but I think we should probably explain the concept of inflation for those who don't know it. But basically, why the the pound is devalued, that is that whole process we're talking about it but being devalued is inflation. That's mm-hmm. that's the common word for it. It's the word you hear on the news. And really, that's all it means. And why it happens is simple. It's supposed to happen. It keeps our economy moving. It keeps people's standard of living increasing. So the Bank of England is actually targeted with achieving 2% inflation every year. Um, so it's supposed to happen. But what's happening is it's obviously out of control because we're at 10%. Why, why is it supposed to happen? Because why, why? Japan, for example, I'm pretty sure they've had no inflation. Yeah. in like 20, 30 years so it keeps everything pretty stable so wages don't go up but prices don't go up so it does it's like they're, they're linked to one another aren't they so, but so wh- why like Japan is a prosperous nation that like you would see as a rich country does really well so why my question would be fucking <laughs> <laughs> okay, why, why do we why do we need inflation basically it helps an economy grow is the really short answer. It's a really, really nice, stable way for a, people's quality of living because you can you can basically put some extra money into the economy, which helps generate growth. And then if that growth gets out of control, what you do is you just limit the amount of money going into the economy. But our economy that doesn't have any inflation is usually quite stagnant, and that's usually poor for people's standard of living. So essentially, it's just... It's, if it's kept at 2% nice and controlled, all it does is constantly improve people's quality of living. And it should that should be the case if done properly across all social levels. Do you know what I mean? Right, Poor okay. middle class rich. It should, Everyone in theory is getting better off. 
that is the theory of of inflation, and that's why they actually want inflation at two percent. Because so long as your nice. so long as your wage rises go up by the same amount, 2%. yes, yeah, yeah, you get more. You put more money in. You technically devalue the pound, so inflation happens two percent, however. But that would does it makes you more productive, and then that allows the incomes to go up, taxes to go up, and it's really just good for a nice, strong economy. Okay. The only thing is, it's very, very hard to control, as we've seen. So that leads us into the four factors that we've decided to discuss that contribute, well, are possibly contributing to the question of why is the inflation in the UK out of control? Like, why is it at 10%? So... What have we got first? Factor one, Brexit. Any thoughts on this? I've got many thoughts on it. Um, well, I think there was a report that came out um, and it basically ranked the UK in the bottom of the G7 countries. Yep. Um, on all, across all boards, mm-hmm. um, all factors. And that, it's got to be attributed to Brexit, hasn't it? Like it's, there's no way that you can hide from it. The, the fisheries, the, the farmers, uh, haulage in general, all of them have been burdened by red tape and like extra tax. So you're not going to buy stuff. You're not going to send stuff yeah. because there's an extra cost. Like you, you buy, I bought a, a pair of motorbike boots and they came across and they were like, they were cheaper to buy them in Germany. They came across and they were like $60, 60, 60 pounds extra to get them in the country. So you just say no and you send them back? Yeah. So, like, so those factors definitely like has affected the UK economy worse. And the the government will, will not want to allude to that because they want to hide it as well. They'll just blame COVID. Yeah. But I think that's a huge factor in why the UK is worse off than many of its counterparts. Yeah. So, to, yeah, so I would agree. So then to relate it to inflation, why that causes inflation? It's basically all these things, so all those things you've mentioned, and one another one is less workers. So you've got less employees. Like in look, the at, look at the, the walk down the high street. How many restaurants and bars have got signs? Because Aye. a lot of the staff. I, I worked in a restaurant, and all the staff were European. Yeah, there was no one Scottish in the the, the, the shop. Um, so it's because it, a lot of the staff comes from yeah restaurants, and because that's now harder to employ people like from waiters, other countries. Chefs. Basically, because of all of those factors we've mentioned there. What happens is the economy doesn't grow. Now, if the money you put into the economy, i.e. the inflation, helps grow the amount of product that you produce, both increase at the same time, and that keeps inflation nice and steady. But what's happening is money's been put into the economy, which we can discuss later on. Money's been still been put into the economy, but we're not growing because companies can't be productive because there's bureaucracy, there's extra tax, there's no incentives to, to build and to make more gross domestic product, GDP, in line with the money and so because we're economy slowing that's one of the factors forcing inflation up yeah we go the second one yeah the second one russia yeah okay so that's obviously pretty biggie that is that's like they they've affected us in the sense of all the kind of grain that we got from them yeah Um, food yeah food uh gas obviously gas is like a huge element of that, um, that is driven the wholesale price of gas up because demand has stayed the same. Yeah, and they've they've essentially cut their supply to of the Nord Stream to Germany. So everyone is 
searching and that there's obviously sanctions so we're not taking things from russia so that drives up the price of everything because it's just supply and demand isn't it like the, yeah there's not enough supply for the demand it's not that anything's changed it's just that you've cut out one of the largest countries in the, the world and not buying anything from them and they're, they're, they and if they are supplying gas they're holding them to ransom for it yeah. um and and as far as i can see the sanctions don't seem to be working at all no, they've uh, too much power. Um, too they're not, they're not, that, that may be a, a, uh, something that's happened in the past that they've the West the Western countries have like fell into the palm of Russia by by yeah. giving them like that control and like the UK itself is it's hindered itself by not owning its own um, like energy market. Like why is that like privatized? That yeah. you can't give something that's so important and necessary for every person to to private organizations who are focusing on shareholders and, and their profit margins and not focusing on supplying energy to the people. Yeah. And I can't, un- like, and that goes down like a rabbit hole of like energy prices and I like my, I don't understand what Off-GM are doing. I don't understand what the government are doing, to be honest. And helping us individuals, like it's, it's, it's farcical that they won't tax the bigger corporations and would rather just burden the country with debt the the only explanation could be that the people are all getting their pockets lined by these organisations. Yeah, like there, there can be no other explanation to why that they wouldn't just tax these organisations for making huge profits when everybody else yeah is suffering. Businesses, individuals. Yep. Like, though, like, it feels that we're in a country that own the only the only ones who get benefit are the large corporations. Small businesses get no the pleasure. Landlords get no no opportunities. And then individuals don't get any opportunities. It's literally just big corporations. Yeah, no degree. And that's so. That's a pretty obvious one. Then so Russia and in relation to inflation, it's sending the price of oil and food up, and so therefore again that slows yeah. our economy. And as our economy slows, inflation increases. So factor three, corporate greed. So we did a poll on Instagram. And interestingly, this was by far the the biggest vote winner of, of the, the main cause for was it? inflation, which I was surprised at. Not that that that's obviously is a concept we've looked at whether how this impacts it, but I don't really think it's not getting that much news attention, the whole corporate because, greed aspect of it. Like this is me being cynical here, but who controls the news? Like that's why it doesn't get like any like the, the bigger corporations control the news, like the likes of Amazon, um, Facebook, Apple, all these huge organisations that earn billions a year, like are in charge of like they, they like all these organi- oh, they're in the pockets of everyone. Like, and there's yeah. nothing we can do about that. Like, they're not going to go. Amazon earns hundred billion profit. Um, this is a shock to everyone and causing inflation. They're, they're, they're not they're going to hide from it. They're going to go, Amazon provides so many jobs to people. Yeah. Well, that, that that's why it surprised me. I was like, I didn't think that that was so much in the sort of, the common mindset of people. Like, oh, we're getting done. I think what happens, in, but what I, what I do think it's unfairly biased towards oil and gas companies though. Oil and gas companies are always seen as the baddies. The, what they, what people fail to remember is for the last 10 years, oil and gas companies have been on their knees, like pe- making huge redundancies, limited profit. BP shares like dropped to a 30-year low uh, 
just before the pandemic, like during the pandemic, I think. So that's what people forget to to mention. They they see oil oh, and gas companies. The likes of Amazon, Amazon and say, yeah. Amazon and Apple are far bigger players in this field Google. than than the, if you look at their market share and the market cap of those organizations, they're bigger than the oil companies. Yeah. So everyone blames oil companies, but at the end of the day, the oil companies are supply and demand based. They they are making more. So when they say uh, Shell are making profit, it's not based on what you're paying because what you're paying for your gas and elect- electricity. It's based on what they're selling their oil and gas to the supply to, to the network for, which is dictated by the market. They are not making their huge profits off us I directly. They, they, it's, it's in it's in the directly affected, but their prices their huge profits are dictated by, by Russia. Aye, yeah. Because Russia are cutting the, the, the supply. So that means that they're making huge profits. Their profits are not coming from us paying our gas and electricity on a day-to-day basis. Indirectly, it does because our like bulb are having to pay extra for the gas. Yeah. But that is not directly like as a result of BP and Shell putting their prices up. It's market-led. It's led by government. Only government can change. And it's not just the UK government. It's worldwide. Only the worldwide organisations can affect this and go no yes and by having these sanctions it's all well and good going oh we're doing this to support our russia and our brothers but like you have to do other mechanisms to mitigate that you can't just why should all the why should the 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 public pay the price when huge organizations get away scot-free this is the they problem. should pay the price as much as we do so that that's the issue is that obviously the market defines the price right and so that the recent a recent article uh, that looked into basically corporation profits while inflation is being up, and basically corporation profits are outpacing inflation. So they're actually like they're increasing at a higher rate than inflation is yeah. increasing, and that just drives because a lot of up. a lot of these organisations out with oil and gas companies are trying to claim back their losses during the pandemic. Yeah. No one, why why are we not like. We we didn't have a windfall tax for so we have a windfall tax on the oil and gas companies because oil and gas prices went through the roof now, right? Did we have a windfall tax on Amazon during the pandemic? I don't think we did. When don't know. because they were making ridiculous profits because no one could leave the house, and when did we have a windfall tax on all the supermarkets? It's they they gave they they grouped together and gave money back, but we didn't have a windfall tax on them when we could only go to a supermarket. So I think it's unfairly biased towards oil and gas companies. It's all of them. <laughs> they're yeah. always bad as each other and we just group because oil and gas is seen as the bad like oh well it's bad for the environment if you look and like look at the numbers what an electric car the process indirectly does to the environment is far worse than a petrol car you have to have that electric car for 25 years and most times to actually see a, a balancing out act of what you've done to the, the climate because for every rare earth element that goes into electric car they have to dig huge mines with all these massive industrial uh, machines ship it to china ship it to the uk like that is not a green friendly way but everyone sees on gas as like the bad the, the, the doom and gloom when in reality all the corporations are yeah are not squeaky clean by no stretch of the imagination so it's i agree with everyone who's voted because it's all of them they're always bad with one another but the top of that who's driving that is the government like and i like i'm i'm trying i i try not to be cynical try not to be negative towards the government but over the last couple of years all i can see is negative like i, I don't get it 
like I, I, I don't, I don't get it. Even like, even SMP, like I don't get it. Like the latest thing with the landlords, I have no idea. But I'll punish the, 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 the small individual who has a couple of flats who makes a, maybe like ten grand profit. Mm-hmm. But okay, Starbucks can make billions. Like right. it makes no sense. Makes no sense. So that that article. Uh, and that analysis attributed, I think they said that it could be up to 60% of inflation is, be- is attributable to corporation profits. Yeah. Which is quite well. a big, quite a big one. Because like, arguably without those gross sort of like taking advantage of the market and making that profit, we could be in a lot where we could be at 6% inflation rather yeah, than 10% inflation. It, it needs the government to step in. Yeah. That's what it needs for that. And they, so basically they, they are not learning from the mistake in the night in the seventies when people like my mom and dad were paying like twenty percent interest on a mortgage or something like that, or twelve yeah. percent was it? They're not learning from those mistakes. They're doing the exact same thing. The bank, the bank of England goes, okay, we'll put interest rate up. How does that help anyone? So the person who's struggling before now can't like will end up paying more in his mortgage, can't get a loan because it will cost more. Everything ends up costing more. Because they're saying, well, we need to stop spending because spending is driving inflation. Not the not the public spending is driving inflation. It's the it's the huge corporations. But this it, is where this is where you need government intervention. Yeah, you need a strong government but, but, who but, but, can do but, something about corporations. I have lost total tax. belief in anything that they do. Everyone can be bought and sold. That's the problem. I've lost total belief in not only Scotland's government but the British government. Both. Yeah, I have no faith at all. Will we go on to factor four? Yes. So factor four is COVID aftermath, and there's going to be a lot of things that you could attribute to 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 the like how COVID's affect the economy. But for the main one for inflation is don't know if you know the the amount of money we put into the economy during 2020. It is staggering. So to give you context, in 2008 when the financial crash happened, we put in 200 billion to okay. try and kickstart the economy again basically save the economy in 2020 we put in 450 billion pounds into the economy so we put 450 billion pounds into the economy and we didn't change our gross domestic product if anything the economy slowed down so what you've got is less product and an extra 450 billion pounds and that is a huge contributory factor to why inflation is at 10 percent just now so in 2010 money how much is the 450 billion do we know it's a good question. I don't know what inflation. I think inflation's at about two percent a year, basically. I think it's been pretty close to that. It's so like two point six percent. So, it's still, a year. so it's still a significant amount more because it should only be like. But that's but that's ten percent higher. So why would that drive inflation? Well, because you've devalued every pound in the every pound that was ever in that economy. Once you throw in four hundred fifty billion pound, whether it's done with good intention or not, I get that it was done because mm. people needed money. However. There was no extra product to buy, and the economy is not advancing. It's not we're not making anything more, as in we're not any more productive. We were just so yeah. that is seriously, seriously, seriously devalued the pound, and that for me, I think, is the most. And I think Russia and I think um, companies are taking a lot of the a lot of the flack, and I think people are not realizing that. See, when you put four hundred fifty billion pounds in an economy, it does take time to trickle down. COVID was slightly faster because a lot of the money was going to the public, but it takes time for that money to trickle down and you don't usually see the effects of that inflation for a couple of years. 
But once that money sort of settles into the market, some people will hold it, blah, 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 and spend it and corporations will use it. But once that trickles down and then enters the system fully, that's why house prices go up. That's why inflation goes up and the price of everything goes up because everybody's like, well, there's more money here and there's no extra product so I can put the price of my product up. I think it also had a massive impact on like supply chain. So everything shut down, didn't it? So... As you can see, like when people were ordering new cars, cars like, it was like a, a year delay because there was no microchips for the cars because the Chinese factory shut down during COVID. Um, like the production of all kind of raw materials slowed down because they weren't being made. They were yeah. being made at a lower rate. Like the same way, like the the doctors were seeing less people. The the, the materials being made were being built and purchased yeah. and. And made at a much lower, a smaller rate than before, no. and then when the market just, it just opened back up again, the supply was what it used to be. The demand was what it used to be, but the supply was well diminished because they'd shut down so much stuff. So I see that in work where the supply chain just is on its knees because it just can't provide, yeah. and all that does is drive the cost of everything up. So, for example, uh, my sister's uh, building a house, and they were talking about the, the cost of insulation in their house was twelve pound a square meter up to 70 square pound a square meter uh timber the same kind of like five-fold increase yeah and these things are all because of the supply chain being affected not only by brexit but also by covid by russia all three have affected the same thing so that's and they've all exacerbated one another that's the problem this is the perfect storm kicked off by covid potentially yeah but then a complete perfect storm and if you look at the two factors that influence inflation money in the economy and productivity essentially are the two they're both going completely the wrong way for inflation we're putting more and more and more and more and more money into the economy and then we're getting less and less and less and less productive with increased costs because of the extra money in the economy which then makes things harder to make so you have got the complete perfect storm just now for inflation and that that really is a probably a pretty all right like decent summary high level of like why inflation is at 10% all these things are going to be affecting it all to different levels for different people in different economies but yeah that that's a pretty good round and you're, pre- uh, you're pretty much showing a very dire situation we're not, we are the world well the developed world is in a pretty bad situation just now no even if you look at like countries like Sri Lanka and Pakistan they're in dire straits like the Sri Lankan government like basically got ousted because they couldn't buy fuel yeah and like no one had food like because obviously these countries and uh, like their tourism was destroyed by covid and then it's picked back up and then everything's happened with like the price of oil petrol like everything it's just exacerbated one another and it's it's quite a yeah like i said before like when is everyone going to catch a break where things just start to go a wee bit better because it's not it's not really that great at the moment no i think um what we'll do before we move on is you raised a good point of like at the start we give the example of what your pound being devalued so you need 50 times the amount of money to buy the average house but mm-hmm. you could use the same amount of gold as you had back and then that all of those things just so that it's clear why that pound is devalued that is just because of inflation and over since 1970 if we take all the inflation that's taken place since 1970 that equates to more and more money being put into the economy at a faster rate than we're actually making products and increasing our population and things. So you have so much more money in the economy and not much more product 
and that is why you need more money to buy the same thing. It's just like a simple supply and demand. This is probably a hard, a impossible question. I don't know if you'll know the answer. Oh, God. Why in 1970 did they remove gold? I, I know. Why, why did they remove... Why, why did the US decide that the, the, the US dollar would be the, the gold standard for every country to, to trade in? So yep. was that to gain control of the market so they could basically burden countries and go, right, okay, it's $100 for you to buy this vegetable. Um, whereas before it was dictated by the gold price, they could do it dictated by the dollar. They were in control of how much dollars there were, where they're not in control of how much gold there is. So how this happened was, it's really interesting, how this happened was that because of World War Two, most of the developed countries, with the exception of America, were involved very, very early and spent a lot of money yeah. um, in gold and currency in order to fight that war, right? And we would consider that probably well spent now. But America didn't come until the end. And because they didn't come until the end, during the war, they had really profited and they actually had the majority of gold. They had such a strong reserve of gold that because it was tied to the US dollar at the time, it made the US dollar very, very reliable because everyone was very well assured that if you trade in the US dollar, the US have got the gold to back it. And that's what made it so trusted and made it the main currency for trade because folk went, like, it's good as gold, it's safe. You can use the US dollar anywhere. You can always redeem it for gold. And the US have got that sorted because they actually can talk the talk. They've got the gold reserves there. But what happened was the US got greedy, which every single society who's ever been in this position has done. And they started borrowing more and more and more and more and then print more money when they needed more money because things times were good. Times were good, the economy's strong, print more money, it's not going to affect inflation, brilliant. And what people started to realise was they're printing more money than they have gold now. And as that began to be realised, people started going, actually, can we trade in a dollar for gold? Because eventually you're going to be at a stage where you can't trade this for gold anymore because you're going to run out. And people started trading in. And basically when people started trading in, that sends the value of the dollar crashing. Yeah. And so Nixon basically just took a fucking presidential fuck you all. You cannot trade the US dollar for gold anymore to protect the dollar. That's why he did it. Because it, everyone selling their dollar meant it was so devalued and they were going to run out of gold. So he basically just decreed, nah, just presidential decree, you can't trade your dollar for gold anymore. It protected the dollar. But what it did in 1970 was it meant that for the first time ever, money was tied to nothing tangible. There was nothing nothing tangible to say what the value of a currency was mm -hmm. and so now and that's why basically see if, see if you look at the graph of how much money every like country's printed you see a tiny little blip in world war one tiny little blip at world war two because you print more money because obviously you're at war you need more money see after 1970 see if you zoom out the map you actually can't see world war one and world war two in the graph they're like at zero and the money we have printed now since 1970 is extortionate and it's because it doesn't mean anything anymore you don't need gold to back it up mm -hmm. you just print it this is why bitcoin came about they tried like 
They're trying to be the new gold standard. Decentralized, yeah. They're trying to be the new gold standard by saying it's limited. Yeah. That's the idea behind yeah. it. That's why it's, it's uh, quite we, we, clever. We, it's very clever if you think of it because they've, they've only got a set amount. The same yeah. as gold. Gold is not exactly. infinite. Yeah. Whereas printing money is. But that's why Bitcoin might not work because governments love this ability right, to print yeah, money. Government Just print control. it whenever you want. It doesn't matter. I think if anyone's naive enough to think the government's not involved in the cryptocurrencies and buying huge shares of them, then... <laughs> So, what we were going to move quite, on to... It's very interesting, though. Like, you've done your research. I'll give you that. Thanks. When you, when you put up that uh, Instagram post, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I've not done no research. Get the money, man. Get the So, um, I think the next thing we we're going to move on to is, for me, I think, like, okay... We've heard enough of that in the news. Me and you have sort of went into it. Hopefully that's explained a bit more for people. For me, and this was something I realised recently, it's, it's what can we do, right? And I don't mean civil action. I mean, what can you do as a person within your control to like to change how you look at your finances? Mm-hmm. And this is where I'd like to go into the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So is this looking after your finances? If you've got like savings, um, if you've got a house... Yes. Or is this like just general? It's everything. So it's basically this book. Highly recommend it. It's old now. Um, and I'll, I'll address that later on because we had a, a, user, a listener question. So about that. But the concepts in the book are still, to me, very, very relevant today. And it essentially is this guy who literally, he didn't literally have two dads, sorry. He had a dad who was like really highly educated and smart and like conventionally successful, but not very well off. Mm-hmm. And then his mate's dad, who almost was like a second dad to him for reasons you've seen, you'll, you'll know if you read the book. But this dad was rich, not well educated, but very rich. And it, he talks in the book about the two different sort of parenting styles of what your rich dad would teach you and what your poor dad would teach you. Okay. And to boil it all down to something just to make it as simple as I can, it's, it is worth reading the book, but to make it as simple as you can, there's three sort of models and I'll use poor, but I mean financially poor. I don't mean like just a poor person in yeah, general, okay. right? Poor is determined as, sorry, you, you work a job, you get your salary, you pay your bills, and then whatever's left, you just do what you like with it and spend it on other frivolous things. So most people are poor. You have salary to salary pretty much, okay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then you get the sort of middle class. Now you're probably talking at this point from anything, from like a decent wage, right? Maybe these days 30k and above. And it really takes you up to 150k so this is like people that i would consider 150k to be rich right yeah. but most people who would earn these things as a salary between 30 and 150k would be considered middle class right in this book they are almost worse than the poor in terms of they get their salary but what they then do with their salary is they invest in what they think are assets but are actually liabilities so your mortgage, your car, you take a credit card loan because you've you can you've got more borrowing power. You can afford to pay it off. So you take a credit card, you take a loan, you take a car, you get a motorcycle, you get a mortgage, and you think you're buying assets, you think you're improving your quality of life, but what you've done is you've hamstrung yourself and now you all now you have a liability that you need to keep financing via that job. So you get your salary, you pay off all your liabilities, you pay your other bills, and then whatever you've got left, you spend it on whatever you like. And that is the middle class trap. Those people, they're the people who fund society because yeah, they pay all their taxes. Because that's the majority of 
the population. Well, like in the yeah. majority of the population is below the hundred fifty grand. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like that section, so the sort of well off middle class people, they pay the most tax. They pay the lion's share of tax. Yeah, because the volume of them and they earn a salary. No, I mean like even individually, like they pay more tax than anybody. They'll pay more tax than the rich will pay tax because they pay their tax through their job. They work for the money. They pay full tax on it, and then they buy all these products. All right. And then the rich basically get their money through an income. That income can be something you can do just now, and I'll explain that in a saying, but like they get their income, never buy a liability with it, only buy an asset, and that is like stocks, bonds, um, or a second property to rent out. That would be a, a, an but asset. Why, so, okay, why would a house that you live in not be an asset exactly this is the this is great right so this is what he says in the book we are taught that that's an asset but how is that an asset because all it is for you is debt it does not earn you money it costs you money every month yeah but it's somewhere you live yes okay good point and when you have paid it off you it doesn't cost it may you may not make you money but it doesn't cost you money good point right that's where if you're rich the theory is you buy an asset all right once you buy an asset, that asset then becomes your income. Not your sole income, but it becomes, it contributes to an income. You make, you take that other income, you buy another asset, that funds your income. And now this is a snowball effect of asset, income, asset, income, asset. You should get to the point where your assets fully fund any liabilities you like. And that at that point, no matter what you've got in the bank, you can have £7 in the bank. At that point, you are wealthy, according to the yeah, author but, of this book. But are you, like, are you not an asset in yourself because you are funding your liabilities because you're working? So when you, you need, but you when need you to inve- work. So when you invest in yourself, like through education or any training course or anything like that, you're funding yourself yeah. to make money to cover your liabilities. Yeah. So in the same way that if you buy a property and rent it out, by furthering yourself or getting a promotion or going for extra curricular activities to make yourself money by yourself, aren't you an asset as well? But here's the thing then, the truly rich do not work for money. Even by doing that, yes, you're right, you're making yourself an asset, but you still need work. You still need to work. So you, you're constantly working to achieve mm-hmm. that money. Yeah, yeah. So what you want instead is you want your money to work for you via an asset. The asset brings an in income. And then that income goes to invest in another asset. And eventually at a certain point, and it, it doesn't take too long, all you need to do is work out what your liabilities are every month. So say your mortgage or rent and all your income, everything cost £1,500, yeah. right? See if you've invested your income into enough assets so that your asset is bringing you £1,500 a month, that's how you can stop working, theoretically. That, the author at that point would now determine you to be wealthy, i.e. rich, even if you've only got 10 quid in the bank, because you now have cracked the code, you don't need to work for your income. You're not reliant on your income, as in your job and your salary, to live anymore. Your assets now pay for your life. And if you just keep doing that, that's how you become infinitely rich, because you earn more income the more assets you have. You invest them in more assets. And all you do is that you now deduct your liabilities. The income comes in from your assets. It pays off your liabilities. And you actually never have to pay your own bills. You yep, never pay yep. for your own stuff. And so that is the that's but, the theory. Okay, so that so that that makes sense. I've heard I heard some of that stuff before. Like, so it does make sense because it's something I've been interested in. So it's like similar to like the 
uh, FIRE, which is fire, financial independence, retire early. So oh, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. you give your you you work out how much you need to earn to be able to draw down. So you say you have a you build up a portfolio of a million pounds by investing in stocks and shares, um, and then you can draw down on in theory draw down on by four percent, pay yourself a yearly salary, and the the stocks and shares on average have went up. I think it's like eight percent a year. If you look back in thirty years. On average, it's a yearly increase of eight percent. So you could, based on the the US uh, five hundred, the SIP, um, I think it's called S and P, S and P. So you can basically pay yourself a wage, but never losing money. Actually, earning four percent on what you already have, but you're paying yourself four percent to to pay your liabilities, and that way you're not actually having to work. That's all. That makes sense, right? But how do you? get to the point to have multiple assets to work for you so you, you do need to work at some point in your life unless you inherit money right which you will if you're the son of a rich dad right yep. but you need to inherit money if you're rich and you're just born for rich, right but the normal person can do this and this is why the book's so good it's trying to change your mindset so so like tell me how can a normal person do it that takes us on to this next session lovely that is so simple right Stop buying liabilities, start buying assets, and that is it. You will you will go down the path that this author's describing if you do that. So I I, I basically was thinking to myself, why have I never done this? Why and it's basically because you never taught it. But I was like, what can I do? Because I am that classic racked with like credit cards and loans and got a motorcycle, buy all the gadgets in the world. Buy the gadgets, right? As my wage increases. So what I need to do and what maybe if someone in my position needs to do is essentially this isn't impossible for you just because you're in this situation already. So if you've fallen down the middle class trap, you you're not you it doesn't stop you from going and doing this. What you need to do is if it's a liability you can get rid of, get rid of it. Right? If you've you're paying for a boat every month. Should- but right. stress that this is not financial advice. Yeah, we are not like financial experts. Do your own research. But this is what I would do. This is okay. why I'm doing. Okay. Get rid of your liabilities that you don't need. Right? Get rid of them. Pointless. Because one day you'll have them again because you'll be rich. Can I, like, can I intervene at one point though? Of course you can. Right. You have only got one life, right? Yeah. So, and I know they're liabilities, but some liabilities are living. So what, like, how do you live while also achieving this because it's very easy to say like just like so you basically if you did this you wouldn't have anything that you really like you wouldn't you would never increase your standard of living you'd you keep it the bare minimum you just have like the, the hierarchy of needs so you just have your your shelter and your food and your well-being and your family and your friends you wouldn't buy yourself new things because that's just going into the yeah like the capitalism approach which is buying new things as, as your standard of living grew up but what point do you go well I want to live as well. Right. Like, so you wanted a motorbike because you want to enjoy yourself. Yes. You want to go on holiday because you want to enjoy yourself because you've yes. only got one life. Yep. So how do you have that? That's very hard to do as a normal person because there's a fine line between taking it too far and not living and not experiencing the one life that you have and a knockout of that is just spending all your money on crap and then just being in a rat race forever. So like, how do you... Do you think... Like this is just like yeah. before you go into like achieving it. Like, yeah. Do you think it's possible to have a balance between the two? I think what you do is you make a choice, and it's it's not it's really not as hard as you think. 
So the, the author of this book says this. He's like, he sort of writes, I'm almost embarrassed to, to describe how easy this is. But it's a mindset. It, it, we, we struggle with this because that's our mindset. You're, you're not got a mindset that we can achieve this, right? But see how simple it is, right? See if I sold that motorbike just now and got rid of the liability, right? It only cost me £120 a month, but it's a huge liability because I've got that debt now for five years or whatever, right? Yeah. If I sold that today, all I would need to do is take a loan again and 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 buy a property, right? That property will generate £300 a month income, let's say. I can then buy a bike again and it's not costing me any money. That's how simple it is. So you can either choose to keep reinvesting that £300 a month, save it up, buy another property and just do that asset income loop that we're talking about. Asset income, buy another asset, more income and keep going and increase your, your wealth, so to speak. Or you can have that balance of like, okay, sell the bike, that's a liability gone. Tick, done, that's exactly what I'm going to do. But I still want a bike and you need to decide from this point on, every time I want something, I'm not going to take it out as a liability and debt. I am going to, buy an asset instead with the money I would have spent on the bike and let the asset pay for the bike. And that is how simple it is. But what, so what, um, so the property, right, you're talking about property. So property is the It's the one. most safe and yeah, simple. Yeah, so it, it's the that. easiest one. But it's also very expensive. So like, it takes a while, it takes a long time to save up for a deposit. Yes. If it's to be a buy-to-let mortgage, you have to have 25% uh, deposit. Yep. Like, there's a lot of government set up like the basically like the last couple of years the government have been like against landlords essentially so there's a lot of mechanisms tax benefits that used to be there are no longer there so firstly you have to save up 25 percent deposit you have to pay a second home tax you then have to pay you used to get a you didn't have to pay tax on all your earnings you could offset it against your mortgage you can no longer do that so all these things have gone so is there an Another approach you think that Joe Blog, average person, could do rather than buying property because property isn't always possible in a short time scale. Uh, you can achieve it, yes, but it takes long w- process of yeah. buying a property, um, maybe taking the the equity out of the property, buying another property, paying huge like like excessive amounts of tax to the government on the rent on the second home like ultimately on the process ultimately if it's still profit making i don't i wouldn't let anything like that put you off it do your sums and see if it's still profit making just accept that that's the price of business for the people you're saying like i it takes a long time to build up and i, I get that there's other ways property is one of the, the faster ones and it's the one you can it it'll probably appreciate quicker I'm not saying it's easy to just buy a property uh, and this definitely isn't financial advice but see if you currently own a house and you have equity in that house all I'll say it's is dead. that is money sitting in your house doing nothing that could be taken out and just just moved so you're not getting you're not risking it really you're just taking it out moving it from your property putting it in another property as a deposit which will always be redeemable if you ever sell a property and now that money is one appreciating and two bringing you cash flow i.e. it's an asset that will bring you money in every month and help you pay for something that would have previously been a liability. So that's there, there's an option there if you go so, and seek your own financial so, advice. So here, here, here's a conspiracy. Do you think the government is trying to stop people like yourself, like people who are wanting to like break out of the cycle? Yeah. Do you think the government's trying to stop that by putting these 
like barriers for landlords because yes. that's like the most obvious route for someone to make money right because yeah. like stocks and shares is 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 an avenue that people like, get their fingers burned quite quickly unless they know what they're doing unless they get like a, a yeah. fund manager whereas houses are quite uh, like for a, a general person would understand the principle yeah. behind it right do you think the government is trying to like stop that so i all, all, I, all I would probably say is I don't know at what level this is influenced, but one hundred percent, not everyone. It, an economy doesn't work with everyone doing this. So that and and let's be honest. Even if say ten thousand people listened to this episode, three or four people would try it. No, so it really takes you stepping outside your comfort zone and try to relearn or rewire your brain to think like money isn't that scary and it's not really that complicated. So if you have equity in a house, you've got money sitting ready to invest. And if you're not doing it, why are you not doing it? Because see when you, what what is it really doing? Yeah. What is that money's not doing anything for you? Uh, it's, it's sitting it's, not working. It's, I guess it's the exact same principle with any like savings you've got. Because if you've got savings, unless you're going to use them for something in the short term future, like you're actually l- losing money. I'd really like to like make this point. Like, like you're losing. See money. if anyone is sitting with thirty grand in savings, right? Or wh- however, my, no, two no, grand in savings. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what it, savings account you've got because yeah. the best ones like what three percent maybe. If you're earning three percent, what's really happened in the last years? You've lost seven percent of the value of your money. It's physically still the same number, but it can buy seven percent less than it did this time last year. So one hundred percent. If you've got it in savings. Really consider your options but the, but then, and start then, looking at where to invest that, that. Someone people are, are cautious. But this is the thing: what we've been brought up in this, it's a, it has to be this culture for the the system to work for the rich to be rich. Mm. People need to pay their debts, and that's why you're taught you pay off your mortgage. Do you think that's why they make the whole process of buying a house so complicated, because they don't want it to be an easy process. They want people to. Like, oh, I can't be bothered buying a house. Yeah, I'm not saying, yeah, I wouldn't say that like getting a second property and all that isn't an absolute bollock in terms of like working out what you need to do. But really the theory of it's very simple. And yeah, there's hurdles and stuff. But if you've got equity, use it and see if you're someone who doesn't have a home and you're trying to save, I, I fully, fully uh, understand how bad that time is. And you're like just wanting to buy something, you're paying high rents, you can't save. Don't get me wrong, that is a bollock. There isn't really a simple answer other than work time. your arse off to get more money right. and but use that money wisely never buy a liability with it and see if you happen to buy a house and you happen to live in it for six months and then you happen to have a, a change in circumstances you can let your mortgage lender know that look i intend to rent this now even though you've only put five or ten percent down on it you don't need to have 25 percent. that's all i'll say again not financial advice but you can apply for consent to let mm-hmm and you don't need to have 25% of your property. But it's so, the discretion of the bank. Logan. It's the discretion of the bank, so it's a risk. But it's you've just turned your home into an asset, and you that generates you more money. And if it means you need to move back in with your mum and dad or a mate or flat share, do you know what? You've got an asset that's bringing but, but you more also, income. But also, like I guess in simplistic terms, is like if you have a house and you have a spare room, and you can Airbnb it for weekends, or if you you, you could you, you could do this in a simple term, like if you don't even have to buy a house. Say you are good at spotting like like junk on ebay and selling it for a profit it's as simple as that like you're buying an asset selling it for 10 pound extra yes extra exactly whatever you do like like and that helps you buy more assets which which, would get you in a position to buy bigger items or invest in the stock market so it's you can do it in a smaller scale 
So it is possible, but yes, what you're, 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 what you're suggesting, what you're saying, I can understand what you're saying. It's like if you, you buy records, you know that the records are collectible. You hold it like you buy whiskey, hold it, sell it for a profit. Yeah, as so, long as there's a market yeah. for it. So what you're saying is changing the mindset of the, the the general public. When you're about to buy something, have a think to yourself: Would you rather invest that money on something that can make you money down the line, so you can buy that that thing twice, but actually not having to work for it? Yeah. Yes, all you need to do is when you feel like buying something, just decide, let me let me put one more step in between buying it. You want passive income. Sp- spend the money that I was going to buy the thing with on something that will generate money and then still buy the thing, but use it with the money that you've made. And that is the whole ethos of the book is the rich don't work for money, money works for them. And I know it's a cliche, but it literally, that is literally the tactic. Let your money work for you. And generate income. Why are you working for it's money? It's essentially passive income. Yes. Yeah, so, but, right, okay, so that that is... I, I agree with everything you said. Like, it makes complete sense to me, right? But oh. how does that help the person, like, the people who listen today when they're like that? Oh, my bills are like £500 a month. Um, they've gone up from 150 over gas and electricity. Like, the cost of living crisis has affected everyone. How did... Like, that is good advice. But right now, people have no extra cash. Yeah, so that so right. Well, that's the only two bits. Like, I, I'm not saying this is easy. Like, I'm not saying like you can just generate money out of nothing. You do need to have money to start. But what it's about is making sure that the minute you get that money, you're already in the mindset to be like, I know exactly what I'm going to do with this. I'm not going to waste it. I'm not going to spend it on this or that. I'm going to invest it. So there's no easy path to getting the first amount of money. But you could make your path a lot easier if you know what to do with the money. So the first thing was limit your liabilities, right? So if you can get rid of them, get rid of them. Really do. And decide you're going to save that money. And you can eventually buy that liability again, but pay for it through the asset. Get rid of your luxuries. See, the second thing I was I would say, and it's advice that, that I, I find really tough. Maybe it's like a, a bit of a like OCD thing. or like I like having things in order. Don't wait to pay off all your debt before you start this process. Do not get money and go, right, I'll just pay that credit card off and then I'm going to invest. That is, pay your debts last is, is the way it's written in the book. Pay your debts last. So make it the minimum payment. Don't worry about it, right? That's somebody else's money. That's somebody else's income, right, that they need. But as long as you're making your, your minimum payments, leave it. Don't wait and pay it off because, ironically, the money that you would use to pay it off could be invested in an asset that will pay the debt off for nothing if that makes sense yeah i, I guess it's the same I, idea that, that as makes, buying a product I get, it goes against what martin lewis says but this is because martin lewis like if you have you're going to make like say if the interest rate on your debt is more than the interest you'd make on your savings then you should pay off your debt that's true but during like a period of like high inflation like every every year your debt becomes actually worth less because yeah. inflation so say if you had 10 grand yes if you had 10 grand worth of debt next year it's only nine yeah and in theory, compared, in theory I, because even if it's still 10, 10 it's 10 percent interest yeah uh, it's lost yes it's easier to pay off so essentially this is a perfect time to have debt yes pay your debts last and like literally i think that's like two of the chapters pay your debts last and the other one is savers or losers because their money's losing money no, I've never been a saver I'll valid. be honest no I'm the same never been a saver so I think yeah the normal person get rid of liabilities and don't pay off the debt because there's just no point see even the interest that you're obtaining on that see as long as what you would earn from the asset is greater than the interest mm-hmm. you might as well invest in the asset and actually pay the, then 
an asset is paying your debt off. So it's the exact same theory. All you need to remember is every time you have spare money, decide, is this an asset I'm getting or is that a liability? And that's it. Forget about your debts that you've got now. Just let them trickle away. Eventually, the assets should be contributing to paying them off and get rid of liabilities in order to save as much money as you can a month. It's, it's, it's the it's same. sort of like, simple. I think everyone personally should be investing on a monthly basis into a stock and shares either. And people are scared of this. But think about this simplistically. Your pension, where do they invest the money? Stocks and shares. Aye, they just... So, and they take a huge cut. Yeah, so... Like, why would you be scared about investing your money today in stocks and shares if you've got a fund manager who whose job is to make sure you make profit? If your pension goes towards it as well, the pe- oh, everyone's pension's based on it. So don't be scared in that. Just like do your research, have a look, yeah, and don't just go status quo or invest in this savings account at RBS. They're giving me zero point seven five percent. Yeah, because what is the point? You need something that's going to protect you from inflation. That's basically what an asset is. Mm. It protects you from inflation because it increases with Go inflation. Go buy some gold jewelry. I think. I mean, gold is pretty safe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was really it. That's about changing the mindset. And I hope, I hope that in that we like I don't know how long it was, twenty minutes or whatever, we've managed to maybe convince a few people. That, is it only twenty minutes? No, nah, it's a little bit longer. But I hope we've managed to convince a few people that there is a way out there's like things you can do there's not you can't it's not unachievable to be in the definition of this author rich slash wealthy all you need to do is work out my liabilities are one thousand pound right i need to find assets that are going to generate a thousand pound and that is you then you're on this lovely merry-go-round of asset and income asset income and just keep it going and it's hard to start and it's scary to start but it's it's possible and the only reason most of us don't do it is because if most of us did it, it would not work mm-hmm. and the rich wouldn't be rich. No, I think it's like, like it's very insightful and very useful knowledge for anyone who's listening to like hear two normal people speaking about it. Yeah. To be I would. The books are Rich Dad, Poor Dad's really famous and the other one is The Price of Money by Rob Dix and then there's another one called Property Investing for Beginners by Rob Dix which is really good if property is what you want to look into. That is really good at explaining how you make money from it. So, I was going to do a wee... A, Listener questions? Oh yeah, go on. Okay, okay. I, I'm going to go back to you. So can you put your hand down when you speak? But you've been hearing all this. Do you have any reaction to what you've heard? Yes. I want to say this. They said to me, "You'll never get in the team." I said, "Watch me." Okay. Right. So, Alina asked, "Is rich dad, poor dad still relevant today? Can you still make money renting?" So I'll do the rich dad, poor dad. So rich dad, poor dad. The the concept is, yes, yeah, an old book. The examples he uses are a wee bit old school, plus they clearly have a different mortgage system in Hawaii where he's from, so it doesn't really directly relate when he yeah, gives yeah. you an example of how he made money. But the theories are all the same about, I think it's really good to drum into you that, that you need to just engage this sort of entrepreneur brain of yours and think of ways to make money and then change your concept for don't get stuck in the middle class trap of buying li- liabilities as you get more money, invest the money. And I know it sounds really simple, but see, reading the book, it does really drill it in and he gives you lots of plenty of examples and stuff like that. So I would say it's still relevant, albeit you'll see some of the examples are a wee bit old. 
And can you still make money renting? I mean, the short answer is definitely yes. Interesting with the Scottish government's decision to freeze rent. That's going to scare a lot of people. But ironically, what that will do is mean that there's less renters in the market. I'm, I'm guessing like you might not be able to make as much as you used to, like percentage-wise. Yeah, your margin might be reduced. But you'll like even if you're just breaking even, you're paying off two mortgages. Yeah, so... You're paying off a mortgage. Someone else is paying a mortgage on an asset that's going up in value. Say you bought your house for 100 yeah. grand and your rent only covers your mortgage in two years or three years. It may when have gained 30,000. Yeah, when you yeah. maybe decide to sell it or yep. take equity to it, it's made 30 grand. Yep. Could you sell 30 grand in that period? Exactly. Very unlikely. Exactly. If you were lucky enough to buy a flat last year for a £100,000 and this year alone, like up to this point right now, you've made ten grand from nothing. From just actually owning a property from January till now, you've made ten thousand pounds. Yep. Now you couldn't save ten thousand pounds like well, unless you're rich from January till now. Salary. So yeah, I think there's still plenty of money to be made in, in renting and maybe so I've been talking to a few of my friends about this recently and like see the rental market's really strong just now. No, I was saving it for this. I reckon. So the rental market. Who's friends? Ah, lots of friends, mate. I thought you. Other only, friends. I thought it was only me and Ped. Work friends. Loads of friends, man. Ah, oh, work friends. Are you just talking about work friends? Yeah, oh, it is you. No, I was talking to a few people and and see if um, see even the rental market's really strong, right? And inflation's high. So you're even though you might you may have a low margin, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people looking to rent. So. Your low margin will be fairly secure because you're unlikely to have a void where people are not paying, right? So that's good. Lower margin, but still a really strong sort of um, market for it. So you're good there. Inflation's sky high. So house prices are rising. So you're protected on two fronts. So even if that rental market drops or your profit drops, you need to think, I'm still earning money on inflation. So, so okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Devil's an advocate though. And I'll just do the opposite before you say like, if the, uh, sorry, if the, what do you call it? If the housing market's weak, right? People aren't buying and therefore you're infl- you're not getting as much through inflation as you thought you might. The likelihood is because people are not buying, the rental market will have increased. So you're sort of protected from fluctuations on both sides. It's either there's nobody wants to rent because everyone's buying, so house prices will go up, or house prices are poor because no one wants to buy, so rent will go up. So you're, you're really, it's, that's why it's such a safe investment. In the long term, obviously, if you're talking, I just want to go in for three years and jump out. Yeah, there's a lot of factors there. But if you're talking, I want to create myself long-term wealth, properties, pretty, pretty sound. What mm-hmm. were you going to say, sorry? It was just like, what you can have addressed there was more, what, like, what happens to the property market crashes? It will so crash. You, so you spend 100 grand and your flat's worth 80. So, and then you're renting it, yes, but, You've got negative equity. So what? So what I would say is see see when there's been property crashes. Which this is where you need to do your own. Uh, so not not because you shouldn't get involved in the market, but see so you know the risks you're taking. Start researching. So we're a really good um, a really good uh, place to get loads of stuff. If you're just starting the property podcast. No property hub podcast. Right. The two guys. Right. One of them wrote one of the books. Um, Basically, they what's it called? Property Hub. I think it's Property Hub. Yeah, Property Hub podcast. And basically, they are absolutely excellent. And basically, there's this big concept of the 18 year property cycle. And 
basically, if, I keep saying basically, if you zoom out and you look back, this has happened roughly every 18 years. That, uh, crash. Crash. Aye. And there's there's more features to it than that. So there's the sort of crash, right? So you start from the bottom. This is the start of the, the, the sort of 18 year cycle. You see a sort of steady rise, then you see a dip, and then you see another steady rise, and then you see a spike. And that spike is right before the crash. And that happened. that's happened roughly every 18 years for like the past 200 years. It's really, really well researched. And COVID has affected it, interestingly enough. But if you listen to their podcast, they'll talk you through that. They reckon that that next spike, the earliest that could come is 2026. So you're probably, it's still an ideal time to, to get any property. And what you want to do is you want to be smart enough to not be drawn in when the prices are going sky high and you're like, oh shit, property is the place to be. You want to be ahead of that curve and pull out at about 2024 because historically prices only drop the value of two years. So if you pull out in 2024, and then resist, they call it the winner's curse, because everyone thinks, well, I'm going to get involved in property, it's sky high profits and all that, then I resist the winner's curse for a couple of years. When it does crash, you're not going to be anywhere near that the the level to which it's crashed, if that makes sense. Plus, you'll have had two years of paying them off and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you're ultimately quite safe. But as long as you do your research into these things, the risk is fairly low. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you've got to know what you're, like and it's your money you need to, you've got you, to know you the risks you, you're taking you need but to do the proper research and whatever you invest in to make sure that you're not like you may if you if you don't do proper research then you're better having it just in a savings account because yeah. otherwise you'll make the wrong decision yeah um the good thing is though like you were mentioning like are oh, you going to track or whatever the good thing is see when there's a property crash it means interest rates need to drop yeah so your tracker to, won't be to high. stimulate growth I, again and investment so it shouldn't be something that you're too scared of. Yes, see if it gets to 25, 26, right? And you're considering investing because the property market's going wild. Yeah, you sh this is why you need to do your, your homework but to like, understand so, when so, to invest. But like, what's their basis other than the 18-year cycle that it will be 25, 26? Because if, like, if I was just looking at the market, I would just think that the market's going to crash now, soon. Do you know why? That's because property prices have decreased. No, it's well. The, so when I when I sold my property, like they were saying about like the viewership gone really low. Yeah. Like less properties going in the market because people are getting scared because people have less disposable income. People have less cash. Yes. People people the value of their pounds are less, so people are less likely to buy a new property. They're going to stay in their their own house for longer. Uh, new, the only real kind of exception to that is what first time buyers who. But they have, but they have to save for longer. So that would all suggest that the next property crisis is just around the corner, like as in the next year or two, not way out in twenty twenty five, twenty six. I year think in? so. Twenty two. But the the reason that's not is because every property crash isn't signposted by a slowing of the market. It's signposted by the market going absolutely fucking crazy. Yeah, but it did go crazy during COVID. It went crazy last year. No, not to the levels we're expecting it to go to. So if you look back at like all the previous cycles, we're talking huge, huge, huge moves in like property. And then a cliff. So it just drops. It just goes for it. It's not like, oh, the market will slow down. And what was really interesting was they, did, they guys did a podcast like last month where they addressed this because property prices were down for August like 1.8% after being up like 8% in the previous like quarter or something. Yeah, like, like, so they were like, you, oh shit. If you look at the trends, like the... Yeah, like, but see if you look at the trend for every August, 
last 10 years, the average drop is 1.3%. This is a time when house prices drop for some reason every year. So this is why you've got to be so well-armed. Don't go with the media. Like, try and find yourself, like, some reputable sources, people who are property investors. Get yourself in that community so that if property is the thing you go to, you've got plenty of resources to sort of advise where you're going. Because there was another... Another company released that they predicted a 7% drop in prices. And what the two guys in that podcast did, they just went, let's look up this company. Fine, looked it up. Yeah, it was a property-like investment company. Let's look at the last three predictions they made. All completely wrong. So it's it's all about like what grabs a media headline doesn't necessarily mean it's reputable in any way. Yeah. So you've got to do... Me personally, I would say this is a pretty decent time to get involved in it. Yeah. I'm going to try What, uh, do we have any more questions? Oh yeah, we did, I. This one, I think, is uh, a deeper one. From, From Roger. Sam. Sam. Sam says, Why do the richest continue to prosper even after years of crisis and during years of crisis? Is this political engineering? Oh, God. Um, do, do you... Uh, why do the rich prosper? So the the easy part of this, uh, I've got a, I've got something I want to say for the the sort of general point of it. But the easiest one is, is it political engineering? I would say that political engineering is strongly affected by people who have influence and power, and those with money have influence and power. So I don't think there's anything to deny mm-hmm. that politics or be, having money allows you a significant power in terms of swaying things like legislation and getting investment deals that might not normally come to you if you were any friends with certain people or whatever. So I think the political aspect of it's almost undeniable. So I don't think I wouldn't debate that too much. Um, But I do have an interest in, like, so I did, you know, that I was talking, we were talking earlier about America and all that. The same guy did a video about, like, why this happens. But I don't want to like jump in if you've got a thought. No, I, I think that, what, that basically, so, uh, why do the rich prosper even in times of? If you look at COVID, like the, the 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 people who prospered were like what Jeff Bezos because Amazon because the market diminished in terms of their market share increased because the small shops can open, that so everyone was forced to go to Amazon. So obviously, his profits soar. Um, social media because they buy up the, they buy assets to make the money that's what they do they, what yeah. you just said yeah what uh, facebook facebook bought whatsapp bought instagram so that they, they take full market share so no one else has anywhere else to go so all their assets continually earn the money um because they don't do what the middle class do and and rest on their their morals and um invest invest in liabilities they invest like huge organizations eat up startups to to buy assets to make their money yeah so they prosper continually because they follow the same model you've just basically said and this is not because i'm uh they've got money to what you said i'm just I... thinking about it right now like the reason that they they do so well is because they continually invest in themselves to grow yeah um buy an asset not liability they just make more and money goes to money there's an expression isn't it like money comes to money yeah because they're investing some you have to have the money to buy things that make you money yeah 
in the same way that you have to have the money to buy a house to make you money. If you've got no money, if you if you are on minimum wage, yeah, and your your money can only pay for your rent, your bills, your food, you're you're never ever. No matter what we say here today, we can pretend. If you've got no disposable income and it's just your basic needs that you're paying for every single month, you're never going to get out of that. Like there's, n- there's no way to get out of that because the, the only way to get out of that is earn more money in your job. The thing is, there's no, but the, 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 also Rich Dad, Poor Dad would say though in the book though that, that the mindset of relying from getting money from a job is the problem. You need to rely on making your own money. And I know plenty of people, I know you see them scammy things on like Instagram and that, like I'm a guy, I made a course and I sell that course now and I make six figures, right? I know people who really do do that and earn actually decent money just doing courses online. So, or, or any other online yeah, yeah, so you, you have candles, to do, do whatever. Yeah, you have to do something to make money. But see yes. if you were like a person on minimum wage, supporting a family, you work 12 hour shifts or two jobs, but it's minimum wage, it's just paid for the food on the table of your kids and the bills. It's very hard to see a way out of that other than taking on extra curriculum activities that take away your hours from your, your family, which is very hard to do that balance. It is, but I don't I don't know what the other option would be because that's the only real way to, to like take control of it yeah. yourself and not Otherwise you're like, stuck in the cycle forever. Yes. And it's harder but I'm not saying it's this it's not harder for some people than it is for others. But for me, uh, based on the the guy Ray Dalio's work, who was the guy I learned that like American gold thing off of, he describes essentially the changing world order as it would be, and it was Britain, and then it was and is America just now. Yeah, and China will be the next at the top of the order. Yeah, and essentially it's the same as like theories the eighteen year profit cycle. This has happened for hundreds of years, but we just don't see it because we only live one lifetime and we don't tend to look back. But that is what happens to countries as their economy grows. As their economy grows, the wealth gap gets bigger because the wealthy have access to more resources and more leverage to make more money. That is simply as if you've got more assets bringing you more income, you can afford to buy more assets than the next guy down the rung. And that's all it is. It's pretty simple economics that it doesn't matter whether we're in a time of crisis or not. If you have leverage and you have money and you have assets, you will make money no matter what. Where it becomes interesting is as that wealth gap increases, there is a critical point to which a society's values begin to split as well. And you see that politically and you see that in civil dis- disobedience and civil disorder. Um, and it's really what ultimately needs to happen and we we've not seen it in our lifetime which is why it's interesting because you just think what's gonna happen but it's happened before and what has to happen is there has to be uh do they call it a deleveraging basically where the economy has to self-level again and the money has to come back from the rich and we can't imagine that happening but it actually physically has to happen they need to redress the balance now to do that by creating more money is going to fuck inflation as we've talked about so there actually does eventually need to be government intervention to redress that balance between the rich and the poor whether it's high taxes and then redistributing them in ways that they reach the people lower down the rung uh, but then I suppose you would tell well people will just leave the country but in the past governments have put in legislation to stop people taking their money out of the country for that reason 
and then saying tough it's in the economy now you can't it's illegal to take it out and we are going to tax you heavily on it and it's never happened in our lifetime so we don't understand how that would work but that's historically how it has happened in the past a deleveraging where a redress is done and society resets itself it can be done peacefully but in the past you can obviously link it to plenty of civil wars and international wars because the civil war weakens a country and then you get international tensions as countries decide well they're quite weak we can maybe take advantage of that so it can be done peacefully but only if it's done by a competent government which is good news for us well i don't know one country's got a competent <laughs> i know that's a problem it can be done peacefully though but yeah that's that's essentially what that's why that's why i would say the the wealth gap increases and will constantly increase until there is a deleveraging Okay, I hope that answers um, Sam's question. Ish. <laughs> it's quite a hard question to answer. For me. It was a big, it was a big one. Um, is there any more? No, there was no more questions. No more questions. Okay. <laughs> no, let's just say we only chose two because there's just too there's many. Too many questions to go through. Uh, uh, thanks. It's very everyone. hard. I'm yeah. still getting noticed down the street. It's ridiculous. Do you know what I was thinking? I wonder if Alina and Sam are more likely to share this podcast because I mentioned on it. I would say yes. Well, that. You'd send it to your mum, wouldn't you? That and go, means they have to. I'm l- famous. Um, that means they have to listen. No, but they will because they put in a question, and I'll say right at the start of this. Alina and Sam are going to phone their moz and go, "Yeah, I'm famous as fuck. Check this podcast out. Aye, we get send it to the an episode. Aye. So, have you anything, anything else to say about the cost of living crisis? How people can maybe review the way that they they manage their money and and potentially prosper um i think everything we've discussed is very good like personal advice of what we should do um they they should do their own research and not take it our like actual like yeah. we're, we're not financial advisors by any stretch of the imagination no um but it shows you that common normal people can kind of get out of that mindset and just changing the mindset of Think about where your money's going. Um, but my final probably comment would be, um, it is all the government's fault. <laughs> <laughs> so if none of this is sort of like resonated with you, just sit in the house, pop the telly on, point at the telly in the news and go, it's their fucking fault. It is. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I truly believe that. Yeah. I mean, like I 99% of the blame lies with them. And their decisions, but you've still got power to change your circumstances. I've, yeah, we've got we've got power. We've got everywhere individuals got power to change that and get out of the mold. But um, the government is trying its best to to hinder us. See if you've made it to the end of this podcast. How long is it? It's quite a few. Oh, this long. is long, man. I can't see the screen just now, but this is an hour and a half. I reckon easy. If you've made it to the end of this podcast, and you think that it was helpful and anyway now that means that in an hour and a half worth of talking there was one thing that you, you found call. helpful yeah, yeah. please comment please just say cheers or something so that i know that that was all worth it that was so much reading that was like it's wor- you know why it was three I- I'll tell you why it's worth reading. it because you taught me like the gold thing yeah it's, 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 i will tell others of that <laughs> i am like that was that, that was very good information and i'm and if anything else, you've you've taught me stuff, right? I'm glad. Uh, our friends don't listen because they've made that clear, especially Ped. Yes. But you've taught yourself. 
Yeah, no, I, mean, I feel good. But I would, you improve I would like it if other people liked it. Well. Yourself as an asset. Thanks, mate. Nice. Full circle. Full circle, then. Well, yes, please comment if you found it helpful at all, and I'll know that my life wasn't wasted over the last uh, four weeks. Four weeks of research. Will we head? Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>